0: I'm Jason Rugar of the Movie Mavericks Podcast. Welcome to a special summer show. Every Friday, I'll be taking a look back to the summer of 1996. This was a box office season that was amongst the most competitive and influential in moviegoing history. On each show, I'll be chronicling the performance, critical response, and historical relevance of the biggest hits and the costliest misfires that shaped the summer of 1996. Episode 3, June 7th through June 9th, 1996. Our first film is The Rock. There's a hostage situation on Alcatraz. A battery of VX gas rockets is
1: deployed in the San Francisco Bay Area. On June 7th. I have a unique knowledge of this prison.
2: I was formerly a guest here. Get ready. I'm just a biochemist. That's where you're coming with us. To rock. Fire. From Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer, the producers of Top Gun and Crimson Tide. From Sean Connery, Nicolas Cage, and Harris. The Rock. Directed by Michael Bay. Rated R.
0: Michael Bay's excellent action thriller, The Rock, notched a first place opening of $25 million, $51 million today, successfully launching a new avenue for Nicolas Cage's career, and knocking box office heavyweight Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible out of the top spot after a two week reign. The Rock would blow audiences away with its mixture of slick photography fast-paced editing, and quick-witted one-liners. Cage and Sean Connery's on-screen chemistry, piled with Michael Bay's flair for visceral action staging, created a compelling product that sold a huge number of tickets. While The Rock only managed one week atop the charts, its final gross of $134 million, or around $277 million adjusted, against a budget of $75 million, would place it fourth overall for this season. The financial success of the film would be enough to give the studio confidence to greenlight Bay's next film, the massively budgeted Armageddon. Meanwhile, Cage and Connery found renewed audience interests in their careers going forward. I saw The Rock in a crowded theater on a hot June afternoon, and the audiences was hooting and hollering at the action, and laughing at all the jokes. This was the kind of strong reaction I was expecting when I attended Mission Impossible a few weeks prior. I'm a Bay Area kid, and The Rock is part of our folklore, so to see a big screen production use it as not only a location, but a plot point was something special. The film is dedicated to Uber producer Don Simpson, longtime business partner of Jerry Bruckheimer, who passed away a few months before the film was released. I highly recommend the book High Concept for anyone interested in the life of Don Simpson, a Weinstein type of character for the 1980s. The Rock's importance in film history was cemented when Criterion Collection released a two-disc DVD set of the movie, that featured extensive special features. The disc is currently out of print, but it's fairly easy to find online. I own it and consider it a prized addition to my collection. As an aside, during my blockbuster days, I recall a customer coming in wanting to try to pay the $100 retail price for a VHS pan and scan copy of the film. He told me he had seen the movie four times in theaters and wanted to buy the VHS no matter what the cost. I sometimes wonder if he still has that cassette.
1: This week, Siskel and Ebert review, reluctant partner Sean Connery and Nicholas Cage breaking into Alcatraz in The Rock.
2: The elegant string of Pearl's configuration, unfortunately incredibly unstable. And what exactly does this stuff do?
1: If the rocket renders at Aerosol, it can take out the entire city of people. John Connery and Nicolas Cage race against time to defuse deadly gas missiles hidden inside Alcatraz in The Rock. I'm Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times.
2: And I'm Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune. Our first film is The Rock, and here's a film that wore me out in the first hour and entertained me in the second hour for completely different reasons. Worn out early, this action picture has been edited like speed, On speed, there's never a moment's rest as the FBI chemical weapons expert Nicholas Cage joins forces with a former British spy, played by Sean Connery, as they try to defeat a much-decorated American soldier, Ed Harris, who is trying to bring attention to the plight of American soldiers involved in covert operations who are killed and then ignored by our government. Are you still with me? Anyway, Ed Harris and his crew lock up tourists as hostages on Alcatraz, and aim highly toxic weapons, missiles, at San Francisco itself. At last, here's where the movie starts to get enjoyable, and it's not because of the action or the visual pyrotechnics. No, it's because of Nicolas Cage, who brings his usual hang-loose, wild-acting style to a traditional action picture. Suddenly, suddenly, this movie has a human component. Obviously, I'm giving a mixed review to The Rock. If there had been more of Cage early on, talking quietly, being funny in some way, I'd give it a positive review. There's a little of that, but not enough. But the pacing and the premise were really agitating to me. For long stretches of time, I simply wanted to escape from the rock. So a mixed review, thumbs down from me. We're not even close on this because I really liked
1: it a whole lot. And I liked it even though it's really cobbled together for pieces of other pictures. You know, I wonder, it was produced by Jerry Bruckheimer and the late Don Simpson now quentin tarantino attacked their top gun in a famous movie monologue saying it was a homosexual code and in this movie they have both the hypodermic needle to the heart and the ending which is a mexican standoff now those are both tarantino trademarks so i think they're getting their revenge and they borrow from a bunch of other pictures too including escape from alcatraz and bullet and uh, even the fugitive. but nevertheless not... it's all put together very well and what I like about it in particular is the same thing you do the chemistry between cage and Connery that really works.
2: But Roger were yeah. you worn out by no, the no,
1: you know I even know what I I was stimulated by it I was excited by it I enjoyed it, it moved it was efficient I Boy, it was I'll entertaining. You,
2: not the first hour for me. I was sort of laughing. What about the premise? What about Ed Harris' character? Didn't you think it was totally well, absurd? Well, I mean, if you're
1: going to start in on premises, you could start in with every premise, starting what? with Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, I mean, all of these. Oh, no, no, no.
2: A single the man trying The moment man June
1: the 1st to... comes around, premises go out the window in Hollywood, and anything goes. This one
2: is laughable. Die Hard seems like a rational documentary <laughs> compared to this goofball plot. Okay, well, and we know you like
0: documentaries. Our next film is The Phantom.
2: He has been
1: a symbol of justice for centuries, yet he is as mortal as any man. He is a descendant of a legend that has endured for 20 generations, yet his identity remains a secret. His power is legendary, but he is not supernatural. He has been known as the Ghost Who Walks, the Guardian of the Dark, or simply, the Phantom.
0: Hoping to be more Batman than The Shadow, The Phantom premiered in the sixth spot behind holdovers Mission Impossible, Twister, Dragonheart, and Eddie, filing a weak $5 million opening weekend, resulting in a final gross of around $17 million, or $36 million today, against a large production budget of $45 million. Paramount Pictures was clearly hoping for a franchise starter with a lavish marketing push, fast food tie-ins, and a toy line. It seems every other movie released during the summer of 1996 had an accompanying toy line. Australian director Simon Windsor was tasked with bringing Lee Falk's 1930s comic page superhero to life. Billy Zane would be cast as the title hero, beating out Bruce Campbell for the role, and production shot on location in California, Thailand, and Australia. Reviews were mixed with Roger Ebert fawning over the film, and others like Owen Gilberman of Entertainment Weekly, calling the movie outdated. Billy Zane was signed to do two sequels, but those plans were quickly abandoned when first weekend ticket sales were less than expected. In 2008, Paramount Pictures was considering creating a sequel to The Phantom, with Zane, Swanson, and Catherine Zeta-Jones returning in their collective roles. I saw The Phantom in a deserted movie theater and was blown away by the production design, the action set pieces, the musical score, and the -the over-the-top performance from Treat William. I raved about the movie to friends, and they scoffed and quickly told me they would never watch a movie about a guy in purple tights. This seemed to be the prevailing opinion, as general audiences didn't show up for this high-quality adventure film for families. That's Billy Zane
2: playing the title role in The Phantom, the new movie based on the popular comic strip that apparently has been going strong for 60 years. But on screen, the sight of a guy wearing a purple bodysuit in the middle of a jungle, or even on the outskirts of the jungle, does stretch credibility. And credibility isn't helped by Billy Zane's performance and manner. The Phantom is another action picture I'm giving a mixed review to, and I've already outlined my split opinion. Hated The Phantom, laughed at The Phantom, but I liked Treat Williams in some of the action scenes. The direction of my thumb is down because of the bottom line. I'm not interested in seeing the further adventures of the Phantom.
1: Oh, Gene, I really love this movie, and I like the way the Phantom looks. The Phantom in, it was created in 1936. He yes. is the first of the comic book superheroes. Right. And he, I think it was very brave of them to keep the look of that 1930 strip instead of trying to modernize like they did with Batman. I mean, Batman's in uniform. It looks like he's living inside a tire you know this the the, the whole klutziness of the fact that the Phantom when he lands on a truck he really lands he's not doesn't have cat-like grace is part of the charm of this movie and the look of the film I mean I would recommend to people that if they want to completely forget everything about the plot and everything about the story
2: which wouldn't be a bad idea this movie
1: is worth seeing for the production design by Paul Peters this is one Mm. of the greatest looking movies i've never seen the colors okay. the interior the in,
2: the interior of the skull cave yeah and what, the, very and what well about done. drax's office in new york that looks fabulous to, but it's a good looking movie did you find the phantom someone
1: that you cared about the least really? i found the phantom very amusing i liked the way what billy zane did with that instead of standing around like some kind of a stick to give oh, the guy, I think he's very stiff. No, to give the guy a personality, a wry well, humor, was... oh, an edge, I don't think he has a little a wry humor. Uh, quality of kidding himself a little bit. There's a lot going on there. I, th- I think he's quite stiff, Roger, and that's what, where my problem was. Every time I saw him... Well, Okay, Gene, I just want to get the bottom line out. It's yeah. PG rated. I think yeah. it's terrific. They didn't load it up with a lot of extra violence. It's okay. a great family picture, and I just loved looking at it.
2: Yeah, well, I liked looking at parts of it, the parts when he wasn't on the screen, the Phantom.
0: I recently revisited this one a few years back, and I still highly recommend it to anyone that enjoys The Mummy or Indiana Jones movies. Thanks for joining us. Check back next week when we look at The Cable Guy, Jim Carrey's big solo outing, making him the first actor to receive $20 million for a role. Thanks for joining us.